It's good to be back. Apologies for wagging last week. I was a bit backslidden. Um, but in all seriousness, thank you so much to everyone for praying for us and praying for me and praying for my friend in my hospital room. Um, his world got totally, totally rocked, which was uh, uber, uber cool. Um, I'm really glad you got to meet my friend Rob um, and Marguerite last week. Very, very dear friends of mine. And if you haven't listened to that word, it was an absolute cracker. Um, you know, for those of us that have ever sat on the couch thinking, why are my prophetic words not coming to pass yet? I'm sitting here waiting. Um, that was a really good word. Um, because there's an onus on us to actually build capacity into our life to be able to carry them. So if you didn't hear that, it's on the podcast, grab it. It was a really, really good word right in season for us. I want to pick up and take a little bit of ground, uh, a little bit more ground where I left off two weeks ago. And uh, what I talked about was the war for the affections of our heart. And within that framework, the bigger picture of destiny, that it's, it's not just about you and me getting to live an amazing, satisfying, fulfilling life. Though, if that were the case, that would be enough of a reason to go after this. Because our Father is that good. And Jesus came, John 10.10, 10, that we might have life and have it to the full. So he wants you to have a full, satisfying life. So no, take that. But there is a much, much bigger picture. That song just messed me up, sorry, and that creates certain chemicals in my nose. <laughs> which tend to, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you, missed, uh, if you missed two weeks ago, if I encourage you, it's on the podcast, kind of set the foundation for it, even though you can kind of get this standalone. Where I finished was <coughs> Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10 talks about the mission of the church. And it says, his intent, speaking of God, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, the accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What you've got there essentially is God's um, strategy statement. His mission statement was in 19 and 20, which is to bring all things under the headship of Christ and... Then he said in chapter 3, verse 10, this is how he plans to do it. Saying his intent was now through the church to make known the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. Now, principalities and powers, demons, bad dudes and dudes, spirits. Um, that's my version of it anyway. Um, that hang around in the second heaven and they are the ones that we do battle against. So when Paul says... In Ephesians 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood, as in it's not against the humans, but against principalities, powers, powers, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms or in the heavenly places. He's talking about this cosmic spiritual battle that takes place in the unseen realm called the second heaven. And it's in that realm where the battle really gets decided. We're called to manifest heaven on earth. But in that second heaven, there are principalities and powers whose chief mission is to make sure that doesn't happen. So you see in the book of Daniel where um, Daniel is puzzled over the delay to one of his answers to prayer. And finally, the archangel Michael shows up with the answer some, I think, 70 days later um, and says, hey, dude, sorry, I'm late. 
I got caught up fighting the prince of Persia. Now, this wasn't a human. This was a principality over the region of Persia that he did battle with in order to get through. And once he was able to defeat that principality in the second heaven, he was able to bring the answer through to Daniel. But the answer was sent the moment he prayed. If you read that in the book of Daniel, if you haven't read that, it's worth a read. So quite often the answers to what we have prayed have been sent straight away, but there's battle in the heavenly realms over that thing being manifested on earth. What we see here is God's intent, his mission is to make known to those principalities and powers his manifold wisdom. Now, what the heck does that mean? I hear you ask. Thank you. I'm glad somebody asked. Appreciate that. That was highly predictable that I would ask that and someone would say that. But at least we're consistent. So what I want to help us to understand today is what exactly is the manifold wisdom of God? Why does it matter? Because when I grew up, wisdom was boring. <laughs> wisdom was the thing that stopped you having fun. Is that just me or is that anyone else? It's like, I don't think it's wise to drive the car that fast. Oh, well, it's probably not. But it was fun. Who said that? <laughs> Thank you, Maximus. Um, who else? That's right. Well, Warwick probably would have too, but uh, you got to him first. What is the manifold wisdom of God? That's what I want to unpack because as we understand what wisdom is from God's perspective is something very different to us. We think of it as good counsel. Um, and though it includes that, it is so much more. Now, one of the words that I unpacked last time, if I remember correctly, is that word manifold or manyfold. That word literally means many-coloured. And the story I told uh, a couple of weeks ago was um, a guy that I heard speak who was about to die of stomach cancer and God kind of healed him at the last moment um, in a food queue at a, at, at a healing camp. Um, he had been into heaven many, many times. And one of the things that struck me um, as he spoke of his experiences of heaven was he said, I saw colours in heaven that I had no grid for. There was just no grid for these colours on earth. And whenever I think of that word manifold, it's also used in um, 1 Peter 4, I think it is, where he's talking about, um, you know, whatever gift you've been given, you should use it. Um, It says, administering God's grace in its various forms. That word various is exactly the same word in Greek. Now, the word various is very boring in English. It's just like, there are various tops, jeans in this room. You know, it's like, there's nothing that interesting about it. But in the Greek, the word is so pregnant because it literally means many coloured. God's power, God's grace, God's wisdom is many, many coloured, but it's, it's many coloured in the sense that we don't have a grid for. We don't have a grid for the colours that we're going to see in heaven. We don't have a grid for the amazingness of his wisdom. So that is just simply to say that wisdom is not vanilla by any stretch of the imagination. Heaven's wisdom is something way different. I want to take you on a quick journey to see if we can unpack that. So if you're ready to do a bit of Bible gymnastics, let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. And I'm going to take you through a couple of bits and pieces. Where I want to land this is that song that we just sang before this, I Am a Child of God. I want to suggest to you that that revelation is the one that the enemy is most scared of you getting. 
The enemy is terrified of you getting hold of that revelation because once you really get hold of that revelation, his kingdom's cooked. His gig is up, his game is done, boom, gone. And this will unpack a little bit as to why. So Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19. Now, when you, if you look at Proverbs chapter 3, it's, it's talking all about this thing called wisdom, particularly Proverbs 2 and 3 really go into wisdom and then we're going to jump to Proverbs 8 in just a second. But verses 19 and 20. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. And then he says, my son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. But, he said, but it says, by wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. Now, when he was laying the earth's foundations, what was he doing? He was creating the world. It was creation. So what I want to suggest is wisdom is creative in nature. Wisdom isn't just good counsel. Wisdom is creative in nature. Let, let's keep going on that. Proverbs chapter 8, go over a few pages. Verse 27. Actually, let me go back a little bit to verse 12. And this is where you start to see wisdom has been personified in chapter 8. And it's as if wisdom is talking. So verse 12, it says, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. And so on it goes. You know, by me, kings reign and rulers, decree, uh, rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern. And so on it goes. With me are riches and honour, enduring wealth and prosperity. If ever there's a bit of an incentive to go after wisdom, just there's one right there. With me are riches and honour, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the rays of righteousness, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. See, wisdom's not just good counsel. It's like uber cool. (laughs) And it brings a payload with it. And then verse 22, again, this is wisdom talking. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. Where there are no watery depths, I was given birth. Where there are no springs overflowing with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was given birth. And so on he goes. Now, verse 27. I, and this is wisdom talking, remember, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Again, the picture of creation, wisdom is right there. Then I was constantly at his side, and this is what I love. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Wisdom is the party animal of heaven. Okay, we we just read, oh, it was rejoicing and delighting. No, this is, if I had the energy right now, I would do this a little bit more exuberantly. That's the word. I couldn't find that word either. But yeah. Wisdom is like Tigger (laughs) in terms of joy, but creative beyond our imagination. So to make known the manifold wisdom of God is not just, well, demon, I've got some good counsel for you. How about you just be gone? 
(laughs) It is actually to display something of the character and nature of God. It's actually to step into the fullness of the glory that we're created for. Let's jump back to Exodus, chapter 31. I said we we're going to do a little bit of gymnastics. This is the first mention of the filling of the Holy Spirit anywhere in Scripture. And wisdom is mentioned with it. And this is talking about um, the building of the tent of meeting or the building of the ark. 31, Exodus 31. So then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Again, this is the first mention of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Then it says, With wisdom and understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. See how wisdom outworked here? It wasn't just sitting there as someone giving advice. Wisdom was creative in nature. When the spirit of wisdom came upon Bezalel, he became creative. He became an artisan. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, the son of Ashlubla, whatever that is, of the tribe of Dan to help him. Why can't more people have like a name like Dan? That's a much better name. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant of the law with the atonement cover on it and all of the other furnishings of the tent, the table, its articles, pure gold lampstand, all of his accessories and the altar of incense. See, even God accessorizes. That wasn't prepared. That was spontaneous. I've never said that before and hopefully we'll never say it again. Um, And the altar of the burnt offering, all its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments of Aaron the priests, and so on and so on and so on. So again, we see where wisdom shows up, creativity is the outworking. We're getting the idea? Now, let's go to Zechariah chapter 1. If you don't know where Zechariah is, it's the second last book of the Old Testament. Go to Malachi and turn left. And if you miss Malachi, go to Matthew and then turn two books to the left and you'll find Zechariah. Here's a bookmark I prepared earlier. Zechariah chapter 1. This is nuts. Zechariah chapter 1 verse 18. So Zechariah the prophet talking, then I looked up and there before me were four horns. And I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these? These are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I asked, what are these coming to do? So the Lord showed Zechariah four craftsmen. Now remembering before, we've seen that the spirit of wisdom unfolds and outworks in terms of artistic creativity. These are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could raise their head, but the craftsmen 
have come to terrify them and throw down these horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter its people. Now, think of this as a military strategy. God's had some doozy military strategies. So we have this obscenely large army of very hungry, aggressive, probably severely inbred men who are coming at the people of Israel. And two of the most notable battle strategies, actually there's three I can think of. I mean, Jericho was pretty hilarious. There's this gigantic wall. They're just going to walk around it for seven days. Don't say a word, just walk around it for seven days. On the seventh day, you're going to walk around seven times, then you're going to shout, the wall's going to come down, you're going to take the city. It's like, if you are a military trained person, like we're used to hearing that story. You know, we've seen it on Veggie Tales. if you, you know, grew up in that, you know, <laughs> Josh and the big wall. Um, we're so used to it, but if you think about it, if you are there and you're a military-trained person, this is ridiculous. Under Jehoshaphat, bloodthirsty army, who does God send out into battle first? The choir. The musos. He sends the band out in front. And, and, and in doing so, opens up a can of kick butt on the enemy like not seen before. And now he sends out four craftsmen. <laughs> what is it? Furniture polish, tapestry. I don't know <laughs> what they use, whether they went with their knitting needles, their paintbrushes, their furniture polish. I don't know what they went with. <laughs> but what we see is as God sent out the craftsmen, it terrified the enemy and absolutely routed the enemy's plans and brought them to none. Are we starting to get the idea here? See, the enemy knows this because one of the principalities in Greece was the goddess Athena. And Athena means wisdom. And so the enemy has always wanted to counterfeit the work of God. And Athena was the goddess of wisdom, fine and skilled arts. Kind of like a ministry portfolio in a government, really, but it was just the government of hell. So Athena was the minister of wisdom and skilled and fine arts. That was the portfolio. It all goes into one. See, even the enemy understands that wisdom and creativity go hand in hand. Now, when I'm talking about creativity, what are we talking about? Yes, we're talking about all this kind of stuff. You know, we're, we're talking about, you know, the artistic, the painting, the music, the, the photography, all, all of that kind of stuff. But it's more than just that. What we're talking about is creative solutions to the problems of our day. That's where creativity really, that, that's where the gift of wisdom really starts to loose on the enemy because wisdom releases heaven's strategy. So creativity isn't just about artistic expression. It's creative solutions. Now, Solomon. Solomon was considered, apart from Christ, the wisest person to ever walk the earth. Apart from the sheer number of wives and mothers-in-law that Solomon had, the thing that he was most known for was his wisdom. The Queen of Sheba, who uh, was not um, in any way poor herself. If, well, I'm going to 1 Kings chapter 10 here if you want to follow, follow me along. 
the Queen of Sheba had heard about this guy called Solomon. And she wanted to check this out. So this is 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1. When the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan. She was a four-wheel drive enthusiast, obviously. And her caravan was very great. Um, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones. She came to Solomon and talked with him about all she had on her mind. Solomon answered her all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. Now, that's where we often think wisdom is. And it is. It is that. Solomon was phenomenal at that. And you see stories of his wisdom um, right throughout um, the whole of his reign. But this is the bit that strikes me. Verse 4. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers and the burnt offerings he's made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. Or other versions say she was overcome. How many ways are there to seat officials? I don't know. But for some reason... The majesty and the glory that was on the way Solomon did it was something that even a foreign royalty had never seen. Are you getting the idea of this? I kind of feel like this is more pregnant than... So even the way this guy sat his servants caused a foreign royal queen to be overcome. That, that is when we're starting to get an idea of making known the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. One more, and then I'm going to make some attempt to uh, land this. Isaiah chapter 2. Now, remembering, we're putting all of this, this, this is, again, the bigger picture of destiny, Isaiah chapter 2, and it says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. The mountain of the Lord's temple. This is God's house. This is talking of the church in the last days. And when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about the building. I'm talking about the people, the people collected. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths. The Lord will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations, will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Now get this, especially in this day and age, listen to this as a prophetic word. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So not only will they not take up sword against nation, but they're not actually going to train for war. This is the extent to which the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And doesn't say people in nations will stream to the house of God. It actually says nations will stream to the house of God, saying, show us his wisdom, teach us his ways, that we may walk in them. This, this is the end game. This is what we get to be a part of. 
This is the bigger picture. See, this is about way more than just you and me getting to live a satisfying, fulfilling life. Though, as I said, if that was all it was, that would be enough. I'd still want to go after it. But this is a way, way bigger picture. One thing to note quickly before I say last thing. It's not through a bunch of individuals that the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the heavenly realms. It's through the church. It's the collective. In other words, we do this as family. Chris Vallotton has talked a lot um, lately. He said, if you want to find your destiny, find your tribe because your destiny is connected to your tribe because none of us are called to do this destiny thing alone. We're all called to do it in, through, from family. It's through the church, the collective, that the manifold wisdom of God is made known. If you look at the whole context of the book of Ephesians, it's about the body and it talks about as each part does its work, the body grows, builds itself up by that which every joint supplies. In other words, as we all step into who we are, we become part of this cosmic tapestry that together makes known to the principalities and powers the manifold wisdom of God. And they respond a little like, so, like the Queen of Sheba and go, whoa. Now, I said before that what we sang in that song before is the most important revelation, beyond knowing who God is. Obviously, that, that's a pretty critical piece of revelation. But knowing that you are his child is the most critical piece of revelation. Here's the thing. Wisdom is creative in nature beyond our wildest comprehension. Okay? Wisdom is creative in nature and God's intent is to make known to the principalities and powers the manifold wisdom of God. Our Father is the creator and the enemy's greatest fear is like father, like child. Because the moment we step into that realm of our identity and realize that we have access to every creative realm of heaven, the enemy loses his undercarriage. We get it? Let's stand. Can I get the worship team up? I want to do that song again because we need to declare this. In really simple terms, whatever the captivity of our city is, it is our job as the church to bring the solutions from heaven and to release it into that city. That's the key for taking a city. There it is, right there. As long as we believe that he is good and we are not, that we're just scumbags, filthy, rotten sinners who have been just saved by grace, as long as we settle for low self-worth in the name of religious humility sometimes, then the enemy can kind of sit back in his lounge chair and go, it's okay. I don't have to do anything here because I'm, they're limiting themselves. But the moment, the moment we get the slightest sniff of who we really are,
and realize that the plan of God is like father, like child. And we step into that. That's when what we see in Isaiah 2 starts to become possible and even real. Nations start to stream. So this is about way more than just you. Like I said, even if it was just about you, that would be enough and we'd still do it. But it is way, way bigger. So Father, take this revelation so much deeper than what it is. You promised that the glory of the Lord would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And that's not just a bunch of church services. That is the world looking on and seeing the majesty and the glory that is released through your children, knowing who they are, living out of who they are in you. that the desire of nations is seen for who he really is. God, let it be commonly said of us, where do you get this stuff from? This is different. Just like my friend in hospital last week, just went, where do you get this stuff from? <laughs> let this be our catch cry. Let this be our testimony. Because we have access to the resources of a whole nother kingdom whose king is our daddy. So let this revelation go deep, Father. Let it go deep. Let it go deep. Let it be like father, like child. You have chosen.